0: Okay, so last week we spoke about, this was Schma focusing on the priority, and the idea that there's a priority. That the, Even in English the word priority originally meant a single priority, There's no, it was not a pluralizable word in the same way that unique, right? When we were young, unique meant the one and only of something. You couldn't say something was very unique, because you can't be more one and only than one and only. So the word priority also was used that way. and. It's a healthy way of thinking, right? You could have many priorities, many important things in your life, but understanding that there is one driving priority over all else. And it's not that it dominates over all else, although it does, but it's that everything is really in service of that. If if all the roles that we play as parents, as students, as children, as siblings, as colleagues, as friends, as spouses are a function of our overall driving purpose in life, then it helps also, practically speaking, to balance us out and help us make sense of all the different competing demands that are placed upon us. And furthermore, it helps refocus us because we can get so distracted and diffracted by all the different things that go on and demand our attention that that recentering ourselves literally because we described it like that kliyaka right he mm-hmm. talks about that center of the circle the center of the Mahana is the and the center of the circle of the dancing tzadikim, is the Shrina. when we recenter ourselves to the Shrina, to hashem echad there's one and that's god and it's not even two there's not even really two aspects of him We may experience all kinds of different stuff. Hashem, Elokeinu, Rahim, Din, Hashem, Echad. There's just this oneness. That is the ultimate recentering of ourselves in our lives every morning, every night. Start off the morning, start off the night, so that we're constantly giving that boost to ourselves and getting ourselves focused to where we need to be. So that was what we talked about last week. Um, And that that is, when we talk about Shema as being aligned with the level of the Malachim, some aspect of that, I mean these things that we don't really understand They're supernatural and they're beyond us But there is an aspect of that which is Ein malach echad ose shte That a malach is sent to do one job That's what it means to be a malach It's reminding me malach. I'm going to just shut the door if you don't mind okay, yeah, It's a little noisy at this hour okay. oh, It just got warm again I turned the air conditioning on. Do you want me to turn the air on? No, it's not, I turned it turn on. Yeah, it was very, very warm and stuffy in here when I came in. Okay. Life so. Is
1: about thermostats. My office is <laughs> paying raw meat in there.
0: It's wow. Crazy. I know certain offices are like that. Like, and there's a constant, you see people in adjacent offices keep coming out to tweak the thermostat because one gets hot, one I gets cold. <laughs> <laughs> so, this, this focus of ourselves is trying to. Trying to get focused on the fact that I have one shlichos. I can focus on myself <coughs> in a sense as if I'm a Malach. And say a Malach has one job. It comes down to do one job. It's actually funny because that Rashi that I quoted, right? we had, there was a Malach that appeared to do two jobs. Right, but it right? was really part of the One thing. saved Lot, one it's healed Avraham. Right. And Rashi says it's Raphael, he's here to heal. He's here to save lives. He's here to save so lives, really and both an is one shleichus. That's helpful for me, though, as, a, as an individual person, because if I want to say, I want to try, if only for a moment, to get focused on my life, like as if I were a Malach, what is my purpose in life? What is my shlichos here, right? So we didn't talk about knowing what it is. We just talked about going towards Hashem, even if I don't know what it is, even just that choice that that's where I'm facing. I don't know maybe how to do it, but I'll trust that Hashem will help guide me toward that. Right, But if I only have one shlichus, does it mean I only have one task? No. Even a malach could have two tasks in one shlichus because it's all perfectly consistent with the force that he carries. And we talked about that definition of a malach as a divine emanation of force. It's God sending out. When word malach we translate as messenger, mm-hmm. right? That Yaakov sent malachim. It could mm-hmm. mean he sent a messenger. Mm-hmm. But... It's a, a messenger is somebody that you send to take care of something on your behalf. So they are an extension of yourself. And in the same way that I can pick up a spoon and I can use the spoon to scoop something up, and in halacha, that spoon is an extension of my hand. Because like in Hilcho's Borer, on Shabbos, right, you're not supposed to select the bad from the good. You can select the good from the bad. There's those three conditions. It has to be the good from the bad, the desired item from the not desired item. And it has to be that's, that's called uh, oham hipsolas. It has to be miyad for fairly immediate right. use, and it has to be biyad by hand, not with a special tool for the purpose like a strainer. But right. using a spoon is called biyad. It's an extension of your hand, and it's still called biyad. Okay, so this, you know, the malach becomes a biad. It's an, biyad. it is a, yeah. Sassi- yeah, it's a sending forth of divine energy to do and force to do a specific it's a specific aspect of force and therefore it has a specific power to do whatever it's going to do okay so our what we spoke about last week was blocking out distraction associated with covering our eyes focusing on clarity on the single overriding goal in life our service of hashem being here to serve him and that kliyakar which describes the machanos, the encampments of the Jewish people, each one placed where there's meant to be placed, that is what creates the circle. The circle is created of of all points that are equidistant from a center point. The Shechina is the center, and all the points around depend, you only have the circle because there are different spaces. There are different points equidistant from a center point. Otherwise, they'd be the same point. So every tribe has its own place to be, and every person has their own place to be in the circle of tzaddikim, and it's all facing a slightly different angle and standing in slightly different place. And that's not bad, that's the strength, that's what builds the circle, the fact that there are those differences and individuality. Okay, so turning to face Hashem, so to speak, by aligning myself and everything I do as under that direction of serving Hashem, that all starts with the word Shema, listen, listen to what? <laughs> okay. So, to sort of take a very non shot definition, Shema Yisrael. I mean, the thing you have to listen to is Hashem lo kenu Hashem echad. But Shema Yisrael, listen, listen, Yisrael. Like, listen, you person of Israel. What, what, what's, <laughs> what's the connection with that? What does my being a person of Israel have to do with my listening? Shema Israel means listen with a sense of awareness of who you are. Listen as who you are. So what am I listening to? And somehow the way that I'm listening to is, is listening, I have to be listening with my identity. I have to be listening to my identity. I have to be listening to who I am. So this is just kind of, this is really the rounding out of what we talked about last week. It's the second half of it. So now I'm going to direct us to the source sheets that we don't have in front of us. Um, We can hope that the recording will still record because I have to switch what I'm looking at (laughs) in order to see it. Okay, so I'm just gonna read from this little teeny weeny PDF that I have on my phone. For the sake of the recording, I'm just going to, assuming it's recording, I'm just going to say that I wasn't able to print them out this morning. Okay. So, Gemara Impsachim, Nunvav Aleph, Rabbi Shimon ben Lakish. Rash Lakish said, Yaakov called to his sons and he said, Gather together and I'm going to tell you what will happen at the end of days. This is very, very well-known. Rashi also quotes from this. Yaakov sought to reveal to his children the end of days. And then the shrina left him. So he had a prophetic vision that he wanted to describe. And then all of a sudden, he didn't feel the presence of God with him anymore in a tangible way.
1: Was this at the end of his life? The very end of his life.
0: Right, right. Amar... So he said to himself, Maybe my, my bed, meaning those who are descended from me, but it doesn't just mean those who are descended from me, right, by, by referring to it as the bed, it's saying maybe there's something in me that was imperfect that was passed on to my children. Okay? Maybe there's something bad that got passed on to my children. Avram had two children main children, whatever. Two children, right? Yesmal and Yitzchak. Yisshmael sort of took all the, the bad. We don't know if Avram had anything bad in him, but human beings have imperfections, and whatever was imperfect in Avram, it's like that genetic material, probably both genetic and spiritual genetic, went to Yisshmael. Right,
1: but and totally everything that was
0: good in from him.
1: Came from Hagar
0: also, presumably, but it's it is assumed that there was it some sort of siphoning off, like. Almost like, you know, a person had. this is just me giving like a a parable, right? A person has two chromosomes, well, we have a lot of chromosomes, but every chromosome has two genes attached, right? One from the mother's cells, one from the father's cells. In Avram's case, I'm not attributing this to mother and father over here, in Avram's case, when he passed on his half chromosome to his ch- children, anything that was, for whatever we would say, is like bad in some way, ended up in a chromosome, on all on one side, and that is what Yishmael got. And everything that was good in him, ended up on another side, and that went to Yitzchak. And he got it, we were just talking about this in terms of the genetics of like, it's literally when Hashem says to him, ki be Yitzchak Hazara in Yitzchak we will call that your seed. But, but Yishmael is his child, and the Torah doesn't deny that. And Yishmael does tshuv at the end of his life, and beca- is a very righteous person, right? we don't, we even see that like later in the Gemara people named their kids Yishmael like he's not he was a good person in the end but somehow that seed of Avraham that which in him genetically was what made him an Avraham that went to Yitzchak and didn't go to Yishmael okay so Yaakov says maybe just like with Avraham that in order to get that out of our spiritual genes Avraham had two children and one side kind of had to get one side of him and one side the other, and then he had Yitzhak and Yitzhak further had to filter out from Yitzhak and Yitzchok has Yaakov and Aesop. But you also see that in Rivka, too, because then you see
1: Levon in, in, and- Yeah, we, in we don't Aesop seem
0: front to front see front front to. that that's what has to be. We don't. I've never seen it attributed with women, this okay. idea of the filtering out. I don't know why Where that is. Rivka
1: come all of a sudden? I mean,
0: Right. She actually came from Haran, right? I mean, Rif- Rifka is descended from, uh, not Haran, sorry, from Nahor, Nahor. from the third brother. Right. So you have Avram, Haran, and Nahor, right. which means that Terach and his wife are on both sides. Right, cause that's where... Parents of, yeah, like, yeah. It's, which is actually rather an astonishing credit to them as a family as a whole. Well, and then you have Ravan and Bituel, so you not, well, so you've got... They're descended from Nahor. Right. So you have Haran, who has Yiska, which is Sarah. You have Avram, who's Avram. And you have Nahor, who gives birth later to Rivka. So on the other side, it's the women. Mm -hmm. So it's, I don't know, for some reason, they're okay. Um, So so Yaakov gets worried, because now he's got all his sons, his 12 sons are standing around the bed, waiting to hear his bracha or his uh, nevuah or both. And he thinks the is not here, perhaps I can't. There's somebody here who doesn't deserve to hear the nevuah, who's not worthy. If there's somebody here who's not worthy, that means one of my children. Meaning I thought that somehow by the time it got to me and what I passed on to my children, they all appear to be righteous. So I thought we had gotten it all out. And here we have the begin. That's why the, the 12 tribes is only after Yaakov's. That's the, the root of the nation. Kind of starts to spread out into its branches there. Because there you have 12 that are only carrying what's good with them. He says, maybe yeshba mitasi psul. Amrulovanov, his children said to him, Shema Yisrael, Hashem elokenu, Hashem echad. The suggestion over here being, listen, Yisrael, meaning Yaakov, (laughs) Hashem elokenu, Hashem our God. Hashem echad, is one. Elokeinu, like kind of in a plural, like our God could be, Hashem is one. Amru, they were saying, kishem she'ain becha ela echad. Just like in your heart there's only one, you are one, and your God is one, and you are aware of that, kach ela echad. There are 12 of us, and yet we're all only one. We are absolutely On focus. We're not scattered, broken, diffracted. But also, Shah, and at that moment, Pasach Yaakov Avinu Ve'amar, Baruch Shem Kvod Malchusole Alonvoy. Okay, so we're not up to Baruch Shem yet, but we will come back. We will revisit this uh, Gemara at the proper time. Okay. This concept that, wait a minute, Shema Yisrael could never do it justice, right? But yeah. So this Shema Yisrael Hashem Alokainu Hashem Echod. One meaning of it, mm-hmm. perhaps in its original usage, is we are all not identical. We are all different, and yet we are 100% one by and virtue of the fact that he stood
1: in a they're
0: circling his bed. Mm-hmm. The Shekhinah was there. I mean, you have the whole that whole image again, mm-hmm. right? And they're saying, that's one.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: We can be one even if we are 12 separate people. Because before you had just a Avraham, just a Yitzchak, just a Yaakov, Now there's 12 of us. We're still one. We're one by virtue of the fact that we're all facing Hashem Elokeinu. Since there's Hashem Elokeinu, then Hashem Echad. It's all one. Okay. The Chidushi Harim, that's a Gera Rebbe, says, "L'choi Yisrael, yesh nekuda This is quite a popular concept. I don't know if it originates here. I, I assume not, actually. It doesn't I, Nice. It doesn't originate here, but said very well here. Every Jewish person has an internal point, Mehashem, from God. Rak Shihimhuse Umeruv Umme urevis. However, it is covered over and like mixed in. So there's a lot of stuff dumped on top of this point of godly light that is within every Jewish person. Lachain. Therefore, in oyachol lehispalal, a person cannot daven, meaning say shemona esrei, arachar until he says kriyashma, shemekabelalav omalcho and accepts upon himself willingly, right? Like uh, embraces the yoke of the kingdom of heaven, v'docha es which pushes away that which is junk, that which is bad so there's that focus when you are focused and you embrace your role in serving hashem all the bad slides away you you've gone past it it's like there's this orbit of you know like clutter around saturn and you get this ring of detritus there but you can go past it and all of a sudden you're in the clear and there's just this one this one planet in there okay so there's this star in your heart this shining point of light and there's stuff all around it, but you can dive deep enough, and that happens through embracing Oma HaShemayim. That's, it's a vague statement, except that I think that what we learned in the last few weeks really highlights that. It's because I'm recognizing my role in facing Hashem as the center of my life, and finding that at the center of myself, then that is who I am, and that's my role. And that moment of clarity, then there isn't any of the other junk. There's none of the confusion or the fog or the distraction mm-hmm. that confuses us anymore. That's all cleared away. Another statement from Chiddush I remember in the same place. This is a collected things on Tefillah. ha <laughs> What is the the main kavana in kriashma? He it is just like there's not in your heart any of anything other than one that's the main kavan of Kriya Shema he's saying okay, now we know where you got it from that's the main kavan in Kriya Shema when I'm going to stop I'm going to cover my eyes before I say Shema I can stop and think there's nothing in my heart other than God and if I can say that for real, if I can find that inside of myself that there's nothing my heart is looking toward, and nothing my mind is looking toward, and nothing my feelings are yearning toward other than Hashem, I'm on I'm on target with my Shema and I feel it. Okay. There's a Gemara in Nidaran. So this is like this kind of like getting into the center of ourselves, right? We talked about in the earlier introductions, parts to Shema. In Shema, it's, it's just me and him. This description of the love and Torah as Hashem speaking to us, right? And we're speaking to him. This intensity of the personal, direct facing of God. The Gemara in pe hey Aleph, Amar Aleph says, The Amar of Yehuda, Amar Rav. This is actually the middle of the... Uh, so it's talking about... Um, why was the Beis HaMikdash destroyed? And the Gemara brings several different explanations, the first Beis HaMikdash several different explanations. The Amar Yehuda Amar Rav, Yehuda said in the name of Rav, Rabbi Yehuda said in the name of Rav, what does it mean when the Pasuk says in your Miahu, I'm sorry, I don't have the handout for you, Please, no, 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 no. when I do print it, <speaking in the language> I'll send you a copy. Mi <speaking in the language> Who is the person who is wise and can understand this? A lot of
1: times listening from
0: Oh, okay, yeah, no, it's, I yeah. No, it's so fine. I, I do best when I can see it, that's why I feel mm-hmm. so apologetic, because I know some people are like me and would no, like no, to I see also, it and remember that way. Okay, who is the person who could, who could be wise enough to understand all this? That's what Yirmiyahu asks. Now, I came to this Gemara, I mean, I guess I'd heard it before, but I had come to it this time by way of an article about Rav Shach, which I will quote soon, and the way he defined it actually added one more thing in. So it may be that there's a different girsa in this Gemara as well. Or it may be that that this Gemara is citing also another, like a, a Medrash or something, and I'm not aware of it. Mm-hmm. Okay. This question, who is the, who is the person who, who's wise enough to understand what happened here? Looking at the destruction of the Bessama Kadesh, it's just, right? He wrote Eicha. He wrote, Okay. This question was asked to the Chachamim, to the wise men and to the prophets and they couldn't explain it. The way Rav Shach said it was that it was asked to the Chachamim and the Naviim and the Malachi Hasharis, and they couldn't explain it. Meaning, when you looked at the society, for all that we have in say for Malachiim and there were sins and there was this and that, but if we were to look, even the wisest people, the greatest people, the Neviim, the malachim you know, Achav was such a wicked person, mm-hmm. right? Eliyahu Hanavi was in hiding from him. And ravens used to bring him food to eat. Right, when last week was Parshish Noah and he saves the raven, and it's like, well, why bother saving the raven? And Hashem says, look, in the future, he's got some, some good jobs to do, mm-hmm. like feeding Eliyahu Hanavi. Yeah, it's very interesting, and why that, and why, okay feeds Eliyahu and What did he feed them? What did the the ravens bring to Eliyahu and They brought him meat from Achav's kitchen, from his table. They would steal meat and drop it there. Okay, meaning Achav, the wicked Russia. The kashrus in his house was so good that Eliyahu and could eat from it. Like our perception of the wickedness. Is, is really brought out in this huge way in Navi to show us what was wrong. But Lema'isa, if you had looked at this, you saw a Torah-centered society where the rules and the laws of daily life were the laws of Torah. That's how everyone lived. And yes, people could be wicked and be bad and be rebellious in their way, but the overall context of what was going on would, would have looked to us like heaven on earth. Why would the Beis Hamikdash be destroyed? The wise people of the time, the Nevi'im of the time, the Malachim of the time, couldn't explain it. Ad Shapir sho until the Holy One, blessed be he, himself explained it. Dekhtiv, as it reads in the next Pasuk, so in other words, Yirmiyahu's prophecy is, who could possibly understand this? And then he's giving over God's answer. It's prophetic, right? He himself couldn't have explained it. Yomer Hashem al azvam es God said, it's because they have abandoned my Torah. Hainu lo shamu Does that mean, what does it mean, they abandoned my Torah? Okay. They didn't, does it mean they didn't listen to my voice? Right, that could be, I mean, when you hear abandoned my Torah, you assume it means they didn't keep the Torah. Right. Okay, or Hainu uh, lo shamu they didn't listen to the Torah, so they weren't learning Torah. Maybe they weren't learning Torah, not because that's God's voice to us. Or, or maybe not walking in its ways. If you asked us, what does it mean if God says they, they abandoned Torah? We would say they either abandoned learning Torah, they abandoned doing Torah, or both. Mm-hmm. Okay. Amar Rav Yehuda, Amar Rav. But Rav Yehuda said in the name of Rav, Now, those weren't the problem. The problem was they didn't make a bracha of Berchas Torah before they learned Torah. Okay, now why am I saying this? You're gonna see. The run, Rabbi Nissim says on that Gemara, they didn't make a bracha on the Torah first. Tchilas askam yom bedivrei Torah, meaning at the beginning of their of their business every day, you start, you get going on your day. You should be making the bracha laasok bedivrei Torah, to be busy, to to work in divrei Torah. That should be the start of your day, and then when we say <speaking in> bracha <Hebrew> Torah. We follow it with a passage from Chumash, a passage from Mishnah, a passage from Gemara, right? You el a el So we've learned some Torah. We didn't do anything else today before we learned Torah, and we did it by making a bracha first. The ha revna, make it pleasant to us, asher b'churbanu. Okay. Dovr zainish alachachamim v'lo The wise people couldn't explain it. The malachim, the the neviim couldn't explain it. Midichtiv Hashem alaz the Pesach has to say, God said they abandoned my Torah. Only God could understand the reason. Only him. What does that mean? Like why couldn't somebody else have known the reason? What he's gonna explain is, how did Rabbi Yehuda in the name of Rav come to understand that the answer is not that they abandoned doing Torah and not that they abandoned learning Torah, but that they didn't make a bracha. Like, what is, what is that about? And why would that be something only God would know? He says, um I found in, I don't know if this is the name of the book, Megillah Sessarim, like the Scroll of Secrets, or if it's a, I don't really know, a Kabbalistic book. Mm-hmm. Shel haraviona zal dekra. we we are very precise it's because they didn't bless on the torah first that the land was lost the land was destroyed if it meant what it sounds like it simply means which would be that they abandoned doing the torah or they weren't learning busy learning torah Keshanisha lachachamim v'lanaviyim lama lo But why didn't they give them rebuke? Then when you would have asked the chachamim or the neviim, they would have been able to explain it. Let, let's go back. If they could have seen what was wrong. Look, if people aren't learning Torah, you could see that, right? And maybe rebuke them. By the way, Yermiyahu did. You know, Rabbi Goldberg always says, you can't get a life insurance policy if you're a Navi. People don't like to be rebuked. So we can't take, for the fact they didn't rebuke, we don't know that they didn't rebuke them. Somebody was rebuking them. I sure, certainly was, other people were. There were other Nevi'im, right? Mm-hmm. So they were, really. But if they, had, if they had seen that people weren't learning Torah, they would have said something. Or at least, even if no one would listen to them, they would have known what was wrong. If people were not keeping the Torah, the, the Nevi'im and the Chachamim would have seen that, and they would have known what was wrong. Valo Davar, haya. that would have been something obvious. The and easy to explain. Elavadai, Oskim Hayuba Torah. So certainly they were learning Torah. Talmud all the time. There were kolam full of people learning Torah. There were people who were learn Torah in the morning for an hour and then Davin and then go out to work and you know at three o'clock they're done with their work, they've earned what they need to do, and they come and then they learn again until it's time to eat dinner or go to bed. They were learning Torah all the time. And therefore, the wise people and the prophets were astonished and wondering. They didn't understand. Tamahim was like, I don't understand what's going on. Why was the land destroyed? We can't explain it. We look around, we don't understand it. Until God himself came and explained it. Because he knows the depths of the heart. If if it's something that cannot be seen on the outside, that only God himself knows the answer, which means it's deep in people's hearts, because that's something that only God knows. And that was that they didn't bless on the Torah first. They didn't have a sense that, I'm about to do something momentous, I make a bracha on it. I'm about to do something that's core to my life, I make a bracha on it. They didn't feel that it wasn't so much it doesn't mean it wasn't at all important to them but not enough not as much as it ought to have been that they would sense that it was appropriate or necessary to make a bracha on it and that's because they weren't really learning torah fully I mean, if they had been learning it for the sake of Hashem, of wanting to know his words, of fulfilling what he wants, that would fill them with that sense of importance about the learning of Torah. They would have felt impelled to make a bracha ahead of time. and because of that, they were casual and not respectful of its brachos. V'heinu klomar b'kavanasa lishma amram. And they are suitable words for the one who said them. Okay. Now this is what Rav Shach said. This isn't a piece, I just, last week, I suddenly found a box and in it were all the letters people had sent me when I was in seminary. So we're talking about 29 years ago, right? It's like almost 30 years. And I over Shabbos, I was reading a lot of these letters. I still have like half the box left. It was so much fun and it was also a big Musser lesson. Like I look at it and some of it I'm like, oh, ouch. Like, And then there's things I just didn't realize. Like I don't think I, I was so tuned in to what people were writing to me. Sometimes nice. people tell you things and you miss it, okay? But anyway, that's a different story. But in these letters, there's one letter where my mom had Xeroxed for me two articles from the Jewish Observer. And this was one of them. And I'm reading this out, I'm like, this is unbelievable. <laughs> this is amazing. And this was an article in the Jewish Observer, October, 1988, about, of Rav Shach. And they, they, He had spoken in Hebrew, and they translated and excerpted it. Okay, so this is an excerpt from the excerpt. The transgression of the people of the generation of the destruction of the first base Hamikdash was so subtle that neither wise men nor prophets could detect it. In their view, everything was in order. The people then were simply lacking in a degree of chasidus, meaning they were behaving okay. So what was missing was something above and beyond, right? Hasidus, we would say, is something that's more than what is absolutely required.
1: Or or more than is
0: obvious. Certainly more than is obvious, yeah. And yet it was sufficient cause for the destruction of the Beis HaMekdash. One might well wonder, if the transgression of that generation was so subtle that the spiritual elite of the time could not perceive it, why were the people held responsible for it? a real question. Okay, he, he's taking this a step further. Are ordinary folks expected to be more perceptive than sages and prophets? Meaning nobody could even tell what was wrong. And for that, we are going to be exiled? Each individual one of us that's exiled from the land, we're exiled for something that's so subtle that even the prophets don't know? It doesn't work. You have to. Yeah.
1: also some of the power packs are probably need to be replaced
0: the sensors oh no this one has always been that way though it's like pointed to the middle because i can
1: sit in my office and if i'm not
0: moving enough to remind you to take a break i guess okay suddenly i realized rabosai what the chazal are telling us in this discussion i must tell you that when i grasped the implication of their words i felt as though the very walls of my house were trembling a person's innermost feelings are hidden from sages and prophets alike. Right, we have that, like La um, mm-hmm. La Hanistaro's The hidden things are God's, and human beings, us and our children, we can see the reveal. A person's innermost feelings are hidden from sages and prophets alike. Even the angels on high are not privy to his private thoughts. Only the Creator knows what stirs in a man's heart. The person himself, however, possesses a neshama that is a elokami mal, a portion of God above. As we say, you created it, you shaped it, and you breathed it into me. This is something we saw once in the Pachad When God breathes, so to speak, his breath emanates from within. Okay, not saying that God breathes, right? But the we're using Chazal have told us. At, Chazal told us based on a pasuk, Hashem has told us. Atana is vayipach, right? Vayipach that God blew or breathed into Adam a living soul in a shema. Okay. Then the Torah is using a word that is descriptive of a concept that we're supposed to understand of a reality that we're supposed to understand. Mm-hmm. Reality is not that God breathes. The Torah always, in describing Hashem's interaction with the world, has to use words that are meaningful, that have some kind of meaning to us. We don't have any conception of God and something that is completely spiritual like that. Okay, we don't. Therefore, the Torah uses words, Hashem uses words to describe His interactions with us as if there were, because they have a physical effect, as if that you can then correlate, if a person were to create that physical effect, what would it mean? And this is to help us understand how Hashem is relating to us. That's how he's revealing his relationship with us. Vayipach, so what does it mean if, a, if someone breathes? It means they take what is inside them, or blows, and huh, puts it out of them. Okay, so God breathes, his breath emanates from within. That means that that neshama, when it says God breathed in neshama into man, it means something from in God, so to speak, is now in man. This is the basis for understanding that there's that the neshama is a portion of God above. Okay, possessing this neshama breathed into him by God, a person is better equipped than a sage, a prophet, or a malach to understand himself.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That's like,
1: That's
0: that wow. We maybe I don't know. Could be. To, to know yourself, a malach can't know what's really going on in your heart. A prophet can't know what's really going on in your heart. A sage can't know what's really going on in your heart. Only God can know. But there's godliness in you, so you can know in your own heart. You are there and able to observe your heart and mind. Better than anyone other than God. He can recognize his innermost feelings and can be aware of the things that they, never, that they can never know. He recognizes his own shortcomings no matter how subtle, such as the greatness of man. Says, so, yeah, you could even be exiled for it. You could be held accountable. We don't even notice. The Torah often will tell us about somebody and describe that they've sinned. And if you look at the actions, what's the sin? The person was righteous, right? But there was a flaw within the heart or a flaw within the thinking, and Hashem knows it. So that can, he can tell us that in the Torah or through the Nevi'im.
1: Right, because it says Noah ish tzaddik, he was a tzaddik. He was a tzaddik. So why why was Hashem gonna destroy the whole world? I mean, he was gonna save Noah, but you know, it says in many of the Maharshan that not really he was a tzaddik compared to all the Mashaim of the time, but. He was held accountable for not being the one to be out there. Where he goes
0: with this is that we are, in fact, accountable. Each one of us is accountable for where we are in our time. And the the question that the Ron is asking and that the Gemara is asking is, how could you be held accountable for something that nobody could know? And the answer is because you could know. Mm -hmm. You could know.
1: It's very metaphysical.
0: Yeah. Nobody else could know, fine. But this is between you and Hashem. When we talk about that, now all of a sudden we're back to Shema. There's only one, there's only one, there's only one. Can anyone else know this? No. It's a point of connection
1: that you said last week where it's only us and
0: Him. It's only us and Him. And the space where that's really, where I'm in tune with only us and Him is really in the deepest part of my own thoughts. Am I only me and Him? When I'm asking that question of myself, is it, just, is it just us? That's where I can realign myself and say, yeah, yeah, it is. If I can get to that of yeah, it is. That's a huge avoda. This is not a small thing. This is a huge thing.
1: Right, whereas in the right it's me and him and all the avod came before
0: me. Could be. You know, I don't, I don't teach it that way, but it could be. Okay. And it doesn't mean you're wrong. Right? in general the, the tack we take is there's nothing other than God right. in the level of Shema there's a me and there's a him right. but in
1: the there's
0: some sense of ego there's some sense of self
1: right, but in, the Shmona in Shmona, Shmona
0: Esrei in the we actually start blending that together so right. that we become subsumed with the godliness and recognizing that but that's a different level of avoda. Mm-hmm. you can't get there though as the Chidush he Harim says Without. until you can clear away everything that isn't everything that isn't the himness inside yourself mm-hmm. so but that's a it's a different way of thinking of it and I'm not really like there to go forward yet but you can't skip ladder rungs on the ladder you can't skip you can't skip from to or the tefillah let's say in real life like in the avoda part when it comes to avoda you actually have to go step by step to get there mm-hmm. which is why it helps with like davening is so long you know Shachris is kind of long structure there it helps when you understand what you're doing and why you're doing and where you're headed with it and allows you to to kind of free up and just stay focused in this moment of of where you are all right um rabbi goldberg reminded me that the gra and mishle i think and i was just looking up now i didn't find it i think it's your test perk your i think says right in the old days, people used to be able to go to a navi, and the navi would tell them according to the shorish of their neshama and the shorish of their the nature of their guf, what their mission in life is. Now that we don't have it, every person has ruach hakodesh. There's a level of ruach hakodesh that has never gone away. Rabbi Goldberg was saying he thinks that that's what Rav Shaf is talking about over here. It's that same concept, that there is a divine voice within us even now, that helps us understand who we are and why we're here. That's that very, and I think that it's fair to say that when we say Shema Yisrael, one way we can hear those words as they come out of our mouths, and Shema Yisrael means listen. I'm telling myself listen. It's the same, kind of the same idea as covering my eyes. It's like i got to get to myself and get away from the, listen, Sarah Lippman, just Listen. Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad there is only one God there is no one other than Him that's all there really is in life everything else comes from there and that's in my heart too there's only really that inner neshama of me that is me that's God that is me everything else comes from that is in service of that only reason I have a body is to be able to, to enable and put physical capacity for the soul, it's a tool my body is the spoon of my neshama, so to speak, right? Using that muscle of the hand, you know, the spoon becomes the extension of the hand. Right. It's the tool. So That's the tool, my neshama's got the tool. I should never be confused to think that I gotta serve. Maybe you gotta polish the spoons, okay, polish spoons. If you're doing it for the sake of the spoon, that's dumb. If you're doing it so that the tool that you're using is beautiful and brings, brings honor to the task, that, the thing you're serving, so great right but we got to remember what's the goal and what's the means to the goal and the hashem el kinu hashem echad and i find that by getting to the deepest part of myself as well it's it's all it's all the same thing really mm-hmm. you can go either way and you come to the same result which is i'm only facing hashem and the more correctly aligned i am with that the less i'm looking at anything else and all of these are different visuals, really, for understanding that concept, that that's where I am, which the word neshama, right, the root of the word neshama is shame. says that. Shame is name. The name meaning that which identifies what I am. A name is a combination of words that describe the reality, the spiritual reality, right? The neshama is the activation of the spiritual reality that's described by the name and then that's what's here so this uh, brings us back again to this shema is like the classic masiros nefesh as well because that's what life is we're only here for that we're only here to serve him Rav hirsch has a beautiful piece on the akeda at the end of the akeda he describes you know that's really the model for all of history is that we are called upon to bring ourselves up on an altar to God. But generally speaking, God doesn't want us to die on the altar. He wants us to then get back down and go on living. And serve him, meaning to serve him coming from that place. That's Shema. That's the whole Nafshech. That's every single day saying, I am ready to lay myself on an altar for you. And really feeling that. Yeah. Because it's 100% on focus. I'm not giving anything up. Can I get myself to a place? I mean, if I get myself to this place that we've described, then letting go of my body in service of Hashem is another level of realization of who I am. It's not a denial of myself and my life, it's a fulfillment of myself and my life. What am I here for? That's what it's for. There's no loss. It's not feeling... When we say Mesiris Nefesh, we think of someone sacrificing something. But Levin is to hand it over. Right. right? So it's not that I would feel that I'm giving something up. It's something that I'd be drawn to. But Hashem says, okay, but not, not today. Like, I want, you to, I want you to give your whole self up to me, but in living, not in dying. And that, for the most part, is what's called, even though there have been enough cases historically where we've had to give ourselves up by dying too. But really, Mesiris Nefesh is a day-to-day thing, and that's something that's not, not sacrificed in the sense of losing. It's, it's giving ourselves over in the sense of gaining and becoming like, fully ourselves and who we are. And that it achieves us to a level of Malach. We are 100% on mission and on target. So, yeah, so that's today. And next week, We will out. whenever the internet comes back up or when I get back home, I'll print it. My, my printer's been broken. I ordered a new one. It's supposed to arrive tomorrow. So, <laughs> so I couldn't print them out at home. So I said, no problem, I'll print them out at work. And I got here and we didn't have have a network connection, so. You know,
1: it's funny, how does a printer break? Because we also just replaced a printer.
0: Um, mine is quite old, oh. and it's making horrible noises. Oh. And I didn't even bother, like the noises are so bad, and it, it's like there's something grinding, and like, so definitely it's broken. Right, right. Um, it's not like a software kind of like thing. Um,
1: right, because we also had a printer, and it just stopped working. Yeah. And it's like, it's more expensive so yeah, there's no point in taking more, it to repair. It's more expensive to
0: fix it than to buy a new one. Exactly, pathetic. That's how they're constructed nowadays, right? Um, oh, one, one last piece, I'm sorry. This is also the I hope it's okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. He says, when a person gives up his life, Moser Nafsho, in Kriyashma, because that's the Avodah of Kriyashma, is one way of describing it, Nechshavki Lohaya Maise Mamash. It's considered as if he actually did it. Ach on condition that he is absolutely free of sin now hello what does that mean then you just held out like an amazing opportunity and then you said accept and like okay but i'm not free of sin so there goes that he said because if you're free of sin then it's as if you were Mekadeshim shamayim as a pure carbon that doesn't have a blemish on it, it can't like okay this is look. okay but if you have a sin that's like a mum on the spiritual side and then it's no good he said, therefore, you have to be Moser Nefesh Befe Male. If you are Moser Nefesh, Fe Male means a full mouth. It means absolutely wholeheartedly in English. Right. Really meaning that sincerely. If you actually get to the place where you feel that you wish to give your soul to God, and therefore all the actions of your, it's not your soul, it's your Nefesh, meaning your physical side that all of that is really given to the service of God, that's a distinction. Masiras Nefesh is not giving over your soul, it's giving over your life. Nefesh is your physical life force. The giving over of that to the service of God completely and wholeheartedly, then you have no mum. You are fully, there's, there's a total kapara. That, that has purified already all your actions because really it sounded like, oh, <laughs> then it's hopeless. How could I ever be really most in to Hashem or be a, a suitable carbon, so to speak, yeah. because I do sin? The answer is in this moment, when you achieve that sense of total, total unity of purpose, mm-hmm. then you don't have sin. So that, that's like a really awesome, and then you're, he calls it a, so this forgiveness is right by the action so in that moment, you're, you're pure, so then you're good. And then it's accepted, and it's acceptable. And he says that's the concept of people saying Shema right before they die. Mm. Because if you say Shema right before you die, then you could, be, you could have that total kapara and that total perfection, and if you leave on that note, then you don't have time to sin in between. You really bring something very perfect with you. Back to Shemai. Thank you. Yeah, so next week in Mirta we'll continue on to the concept of Amen, which is very popular.
1: But right. it's interesting that there's a lot of brachos that we say where you say Amen afterwards. Yeah. But there's not really, you say the Habo Cher yeah. before you say Shema. Right. But you don't say the bracha before you.
0: Well, that, those are the brachos Shema. actually for the mitzvah of Shema. Those are actually the Brachels for Shema. But you say, Malach melech ne'aman, right. and that spells Amen. Oh, yeah.
1: Exactly.
0: Yeah, So that's why I said we're going to talk about main next week. It's not just out of nowhere. Right,
1: right,
0: right. It's actually because that's the beginning of Shema. Sort of leads us into Shema. Right.
1: But you don't okay. say Keh melech unless you're Unless you're on your own. Yeah, we'll talk because about that. When you're, but with the, the group of people, I guess it's the yeah. force of the many. Yeah, we'll talk about it. That create that unity. Oh. Just
0: Oh, boy. Okay, yeah. Good stuff. Awesome. That is awesome stuff. That's why it's Shema. Good, good. Stuff. You know how you say, like, with the mitzvot, tadir tadir, tadir like, the one you do the most often, that's the one that actually has priorities. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, really, it should be a clue to us that since we say Shema, not only every day, but twice a day, this is really, really important. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I'm, I'm thank you. so
1: glad every time we chairs
0: and I look at those white uh, chairs and I feel so, so
1: good
0: because so you spend so much time sitting <laughs> in them. <laughs> They're so and comfortable. I feel so good. I, I Thank you. I feel so good. Thank you. I feel so good. Thank you. Thank you.